0: Today we're gonna look at the story of Joseph and Judah. Joseph is a slave, he's the ladies man, and he's the prisoner, as well as the savior of the world. And then we have Judah. Well, welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. This is Brandon, uh, and I am Keith, and we're pastors at Gospel Community Church. Welcome. I hope you are going to enjoy today. So, Brandon, what are we going to talk about today?
1: Well, today we get to go through the story of Joseph. Um, he's, he's a fascinating character, mm. but what most people miss is how important Judah is in the story as well. Fair. So it's, it's really both their stories, and we'll look at that today. I'm excited. Yeah. To have.
0: But before we jump in, let's talk about news Resolutions. It's one month into the new year. How are we all doing with our new year's resolutions?
1: Yeah, well, um, my resolution is to finish my, my education program. So I'm not even going to happen. It's probably not going to happen by the end of the year. Um, but, uh, no, I want to ask you about your resolution because you uh, are doing a meat-only diet, which is spo- supposedly is supposed to be healthy, I think, or something.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a meat-only diet. Um, they call it the carnivore diet. Um, I honestly know nothing about the science behind doing the diet. The only reason There is I'm, none. There probably is none. Um, the only reason I'm really doing it is because I uh, am doing it with a group of guys at a church. And um, I convinced some of them to also read the Bible in a year if I did this carnivore diet for one month of the new year. So it started out horribly. I was not afraid of this diet as I started it. Um, I was like, eggs and bacon and meat all the time? Amen. Um, Week Or day three, I was crying to my wife saying, please just give me a bowl of cereal. Um, I understand. um, But it got better. I started feeling a lot better. a lot better. I uh, didn't get grossed out at the thought of uh, pulled pork or, or beef and it's uh, been going really well.
1: Well, good for you, man. You know, I, I read that uh, over a third of resolutions don't make it past the first, first month.
0: Yep, totally agree.
1: So when it comes to scripture reading, right, we're, we're getting close to a month in. I guess we're not quite a month in, but we're getting, getting close to that month mark. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just wondering how everyone's doing with, with reading. It's, it, I feel like this is still a pretty engaging part of scripture. Right. It's not until it's a late exodus that it's easy to start getting so confused that you just you want to just stop and then right. you get to Leviticus and it's just like a punch in the face. But <laughs> yeah, so I just hope we're all doing well so far that we're, we're sticking to the plan. I mean, I really do enjoy that this plan allows me to miss days. Of course, yeah. I still shouldn't miss days, but I'm just saying there's not as much pressure. Yeah, it's like quite, you're one quite day useful. behind and you're done. Yeah, I
0: think it's manageable and especially since the Psalms are taken out. We love the Psalms people. We love the Psalms. Read them on the weekend if you're an overachiever. Um, but the whole point of this is to read through the Bible in a year and get a big picture, a big story uh, perspective on the whole Bible and what the whole thing is about and answering small questions along the way. That's why we're doing this podcast. That's why uh, we want you to read the Bible in a year to be transformed by God's word. So, yeah.
1: This is really, I mean, this is emergent immersion into the Bible story, right? just putting, just really focusing on it and, not worrying too much about the details as you go along mm-hmm. to get that whole big picture. So I hope people are, I hope you all are, are able to to really read and and just kind of get the flow of scripture. Right. Because once you get that man, you can understand how so many things oh, fit yeah. into that. I mean, you actually understand
0: the genealogy in Matthew when you start reading the New Testament. Yeah, I mean, you, it's it's really cool when you start recognizing these names in other parts of Scripture. Like, oh wait he's connected to this person. And it's 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 pretty cool to see how the Bible is not just a bunch of separate books, but it is it is a cohesive story that tells God's story about his people and how he's going to save the world. So. That's right. That's right. Um, well, awesome. Well, we have some pretty uh, awesome stuff to get to today. And that's the story of uh, Joseph and the uh, the ending of uh, the, the book of Genesis. Right? We're, we're ending the book yeah. of Genesis. Thing. Yeah, gonna we're going to wrap up
1: the book. Um, and, and Joseph's story really... Um, is the perfect ending to the book of Genesis. Yeah. Because Joseph it,
0: is also a great person, just like all the other people that we've talked about so far.
1: Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's definitely better than most. He's definitely <laughs> like the best that we got so far. Um, and really, Joseph's story kind of sums up the entire book of Genesis. 100%. All Right. so yeah. we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so it ends in, with, I mean, a really long section focusing on Joseph, and Judah is sort of woven into Joseph's story. But, I mean, 37 to the end, is basically the narrative of Joseph. I mean, that's right. the, the creation account was, you know, two, two chapters in right. the beginning and you got 14 or whatever it is devoted to, to Joseph. Right. That's a lot. Yeah, it's crazy. So there's a lot here, but it sets the stage for so much of what's to come later on in scripture.
0: hundred percent. So, um, who is Joseph? Let's talk a little bit about who this guy is.
1: Yeah. So Joseph is the oldest son of Rachel, right? That's Jacob's second wife, his favorite wife. And Joseph is one of the younger brothers in the family out of out of twelve. Right. right. So Joseph is the favorite child. I, I love this. because I love how Jacob learned the lesson from his parents. Mm-hmm. Right. We always you know, people always get upset with their parents. My parents did this or that <laughs> and then they do the same thing their parents did or they mess their kids up in a different way. Right? We're all guilty of it to some degree. But right. I mean, Jacob was the unfavored son. Yep. He was the one who didn't get loved, <laughs> and he wanted his dad to love him. And then he, it says he favors Joseph. right? So we're, we're seeing this story, and we know where this is going to lead. It's going to lead the same place. Now I follow like son, man. Yeah, I mean, yep. just, just tragic, right? In verse 3 of chapter 37.
0: By the way, before we get into it, if you want a visual depiction of the story, my favorite by far is VeggieTales' interpretation of Joseph. It is quite hilarious.
1: Wow. I'm yeah. proud of you for saying that, dude. I feel like often you don't get those, you know, mid-90s Christian references because well, you weren't raised in the church. So. Well, I wasn't raised impressed. in the church,
0: and I didn't watch them when I was younger, but I now have a daughter who is one years old. Oh, wow. And so she watches that stuff, and I learn from it, and I get indoctrinated with the history of cultural Christianity in America through the 90s. So
1: <laughs> That's great. That's great. I don't know if that was 90s or early 2000s. Who, who cares? Whatever. Um, but it's classic for sure. So we see Joseph... Um, he's loved by his father's he also says he brought a bad report of his brothers to his father so he's sort of in this role of overseeing them it's possible Mm -hmm. did he did they do anything wrong to deserve this report we're not told
0: they probably took like his toys and stuff like that and (laughs) you know ate all his food at dinner time or something yeah you're still
1: in the veggie tales i I think but (laughs) but you know who knows what (laughs) happened but he, t- he tells on them right and then his father shows favoritism to Joseph by giving him this special robe right right which is very significant.
0: So, so what's up with this robe like colorful is it like does it have like bling all over it like what's up with this robe.
1: Yeah. So it's it, in pretty much every translation it's going to be translated as a, a coat of, of many colors right a mini colored coat. This is a bad translation and like most people know this. So but again well, there's been so many, you know, plays and musicals made about the coat.
0: It's like the end and, you know, the yeah, it's like, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: like all these things in scripture that um, we know the translation is, is not the best, right? There's a few of these things, mm-hmm. um, but no one, wants to, no one wants to kill the coat, right? No one wants to get rid of the coat because it's, right. it's so familiar, right? Him in a rainbow colored coat. The, real, the best translation would be a long sleeved robe, long sleeved robe. And this was uh, maybe a symbol of royalty. Right. So you actually see this in, in Second Samuel thirteen, eighteen, where David's daughters are described as King David's daughters are described as wearing long sleeve robes. Same word as here. Yeah. And there they actually at least in my Bible, they translate it as long sleeve robe. They make nice. a footnote that like, well, it's kinda related to this word. But that's the that's probably the better translation. Yeah. Right. So it's
0: a sign of honor, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. sign
1: that you're yeah, you're you're pampered, you're not working, right? You get to kick back. Um yeah yeah it's a, it's a sign of honor and royalty and all these things and the re- reaction from his brothers is extreme right it says in verse 4 when his brothers saw that the father loved him more than all his brothers they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him so they couldn't speak they couldn't speak peace to him is literally what it says right and, and the word for peace in in hebrew is shalom right mm-hmm. so they wouldn't even say shalom which is also just how you say hi
0: right it's a good one to talk to him no. Yeah.
1: They, I mean, they did not want anything to do with them. I mean, right. th- this is intense hatred. Yeah. So Joseph, as the punk teenager that he is, punk he teenager? knows how to make it better.
0: Fair. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He knows how to make it better, <laughs> which is just <laughs> remind his brothers of how much better he is than them all right. the time. Yep. And it's it's hard to know if like Joseph's just dumb or if he's like malicious in what he's doing in this, mm-hmm. like of sharing these dreams, because definitely this is naive at best. Right. Yeah. But. So he, he basically tells him a dream. He says, oh, we all have these sheaves of wheat and yours bowed down to mine. <laughs> right? And his brothers hate him even more, it says. And then, and then he goes on to say, oh, and we were, I had another dream. Just in case you don't hate me enough, I had another dream <laughs> where all the sun, moon, and stars were bowing down to me. And that one even upsets his dad. Yeah, it's just like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, <laughs> am, am I, I about are we, you know? your mother and I? <laughs> and so the brothers keep hating him and hating him. And right. then we, we eventually see um, this, this pivotal moment where Joseph is sent to check on his brothers. Right. In a, uh, they, were, they were near Shechem, which should just be setting off bells for us since we just read Genesis 34, right. right? Shechem is a place that starts off really bad It starts off with a war crime by Simeon and Levi. It's a place of throughout the entire Old Testament, it's a place of deception, treachery. This is a bad place. Everything bad happens at Shechem. And so he's sent there, but it says he, he goes into the field and he's looking for his brothers. Yeah, and you
0: see my, my brothers. Tim yeah, and she, well, like
1: some random dude just comes up to him and says, <laughs> oh, they went to, to Dothan. Yeah. Which is a which is a, a strange thing that there's just happens to be this man who happens to know where they went and that it's included in here. Right. It's kind of a weird thing. Are you saying the,
0: that's God or something?
1: No, I'm not saying <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I definitely don't think that. But I think I think maybe God's working in this situation for cool. sure. For sure. Yeah, not that awesome. God had to appear, but um, so he goes to them and they see him coming from a distance. And I just this is one of the best this is one of the best lines, I think, in Genesis. <laughs> Um, just for that, the irony is so thick, right? So they see him, right? and they say in verse 19 of chapter 37, they say, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Wow. So I love it. They're like, this guy has given us these dreams. He's, he's saying all this stuff. We're going to stop his dreams, by attacking him right by by inserting our own evil actions into this plan. Something that's from God, right? They're going to stop. But what's amazing, of course, is that it's it's their very actions in this moment that fulfill Joseph's dreams, right? So they don't know that. But we knowing the whole story. We know that this is actually going to move towards God's fulfillment of Joseph being this ruler over not just his brothers and and sisters and his mom and dad, but over the entire world.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And this is, again, the same pattern that's been working, but it's becoming more clear what is happening in the book of Genesis. It's yeah, a, exactly. A, oh, that's awesome. So we
1: see, we see some interactions that are really interesting here. So we see, first of all, Reuben steps up. Reuben um, was, ch- was trying to save Joseph. Right. So he says, oh, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a pit. Yeah. And he's going to go for a plan. So Reuben does that. He gets them to stop the, their murderous plot, and he goes to figure out some way of getting him out. Right. Now, remember Reuben in Genesis thirty five had slept with his father's concubine, which means Reuben, who was the firstborn, is now at the bottom of the heap. He's he's the bad guy now. He's not going to get the inheritance. And we'll see that later on. Um, And same with Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi, who were the next in line, committed genocide of a a city. So they're also, which, again, it's kind of a bad thing. Right. (laughs) It's kind of kind of bad. We don't want to do that. So they also go to the bottom. So Reuben's trying to figure out how to get back into favor, and he thinks that by rescuing Joseph, he can do that. But while he's gone, these traders come along. These, right. these just happen uh, to come along. Realize, yeah, just happen. Just provi- you know, yeah. providentially happen to come along and to give them an out. Where they say, oh, we can sell, we can make a profit. Right. Why not if we can? Why not? Why kill him when we can make a profit off of him? Right. So they sell him into slavery, and we see actually at this point in in verse twenty six of chapter thirty seven, Judah starts to become the spokesperson for the brothers. Mm-hmm. Judah says, oh, what profit is it to kill him? Let's sell him. Right. So Judah is the one who is taking center stage and they sell him for a bag of silver coins and then they go back and tell their dad. They use, it, they use his garment, his, his long sleeve robe right. to deceive their father. Yeah, they
0: dip it in blood or whatever. We've, we've seen yeah. this a
1: few times, right? Uh, a garment being used to deceive somebody else. And, and Joseph or Jacob believes it, right? Jacob believes it and he's heartbroken. Mm-hmm. So, so that's where the story of Joseph kind of, kind of leaves off at this point. Right. And then we have chapter 38, which is kind of, kind of out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then we have a little bit of Judah story and stuff mixed in, but, um, yeah. So, you know, the main focus, it seems in like the narrative is the character of Joseph. But, like, as we'll see, the story of Judah actually starts to take precedent over the, the whole Bible, you know? And so, mm-hmm. like, let's talk a little bit about Judah's story. What's, what's happening here?
1: Yeah, because it is, it is really strange that we're, we're moving along. We mm-hmm. have a nice, you know, progression of the story, and then all of a sudden... Yeah, it cuts. It, it just cuts, right? So Joseph sold him to slavery, and now the, the, you're wondering what happened to Joseph. Right. But instead, it goes in 38 to Judah, so Judah becomes the, the central figure, and then, um, you know, it just kind of goes back to Joseph after that. So what's what's going on here? Well, this is really important because chapter 38 shows us that this is not just Joseph's story. It's also Judah's story. Right. Which
0: I think, honestly, gets missed, actually, a lot of time when we just read it through really quick. We, we don't yeah. realize the
1: importance of Judah. That's right. So Judah, Judah is inserted here, and he's going to play... I would say a more important role, like yeah. you're saying, a more important role than Joseph will. Judah is going to be in center stage because remember, Ju- Judah is the, f- the fourth born of Leah. Mm-hmm. So he's the fourth born son. So Reuben, Simeon, and Levi have all disqualified themselves from yep. leadership. And Judah is now stepping up and he's going to become the one who's going to become a leader. But in chapter 38, we see he's not a great person. Right. There's a lot that God needs to do to to make him into who he needs to be. So we see, first of all, it's a pretty... Weird story, kind of gross, but he has a, a son named Ur who's his firstborn, and he's wicked, so God kills him. Mm-hmm. You gotta be you gotta be pretty wicked for <laughs> God to kill you. There's a lot of bad people in the Bible <laughs> that God doesn't kill, right? So I don't know why he was so wicked, but he was, yeah. and so his wife Tamar is married to his brother. Mm-hmm. So that this was typical practice. It's called leveret marriage, right? Right, and there's actually laws about it later on in, in the Pentateuch. But Leveret marriage was a way of making sure that the offspring or the, the name, the line of that um, individual would continue even if the husband died. Right. So making sure that an offspring came from that line that would t- carry on the name of the dead father. So Tamar is is married to the next born and he refuses to give her a son to put it. We just want to get into that. But so he uh, and he's also killed, right? So and in verse ten, he's also struck down because right, he's, he's wicked. Working. So over for two for Judah, <laughs> Judah has another son, but he doesn't want to marry Tamar to his son because, well, she's like the black widow at this point, right? right. I mean, <laughs> it's that's rough. That's really rough. But he, so he doesn't do the right thing, right? And so what Tamar does is she decides Just to deceive him again. Yeah, she has to uh, deceive him by dressing up again. Um, this time as a prostitute, right? So she goes... Great idea. Yeah. Not, none of this is obviously good. Um, but so she, what she does is she um, basically tricks her father-in-law into sleeping with her. <coughs> and, she, and he doesn't have any way to pay her. So she takes his, his ring and his staff, right? These symbols of, of his, who he is. Right. And she gets pregnant. Isn't and, the, aren't the people of Israel just great people?
0: I mean, Judah <laughs> loves prostitutes, apparently, <laughs> exactly. and he's going to give up a lot for her. This is awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, this that should be a big theme over this the first book. Like these people God chooses are not great people. He right. chooses them in spite of themselves. So Tamar gets pregnant by Judah, and when he says it's time for her to be killed, right? Because he hears know. about it. Oh, you you've been sexually immoral. Right. You're going to die. Right. She sends. The, the staff and the ring, these symbols yeah. to him and he says, you're, you're more righteous than I, mm-hmm. right? In verse 20, 26, she's more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son. And so he, he, said, he recognizes that she did, did the right thing, at least in terms of she's more righteous than Judah. <laughs> not that any of this is, is good stuff, but right. we see that that Tamar is going to become the ancestor of King David. right. So Judah's line is going to be traced through this really, I mean, terrible story, right. but God's going to use this for his purposes right. and Judah, the importance of Judah is coming to the forefront. Awesome.
0: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense of that little um, cut from it's what it seems like the main narrative of this part of Genesis. And so we have this stuff about Judah and then it goes right back to Joseph, right?
1: That's right. So um, what is God
0: doing with Joseph right now?
1: Yeah. So not missing a beat. We're back. With Joseph and he's, he's arrived in Egypt mm-hmm. and he's sold, it says in that first verse of chapter 39, it says he's sold to, to, to um, Potiphar, yeah. Yeah. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Mm-hmm. So remember that. So he's the captain of the guard. And what's important here is, is even though Joseph is in slavery, God's with him. And this is the emphasis throughout the entire Joseph story is God is still with him, just as God promised Jacob at Bethel, Mm -hmm. I'll be with you. Right. I'll work for your good. I'll bring you back to this land. God is with Joseph. He's with his chosen people. And so in verse two, we we see that phrase. The Lord was with Joseph Mm -hmm. and he became successful. And in verse three, his master saw that the Lord was with him Mm -hmm. and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Potiphar puts. Joseph in charge of his entire household. Um, Joseph is, is clearly competent. Um, he's he's uh, skilled, all these things. So yeah. Potiphar puts it forward because of God's blessing on his life. Yeah, you see it in I think five. Yeah, five right here from the time that
0: he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake.
1: That's blessing right from God. Yeah. And you start to see a little hint of what Abraham was promised. Right. That God, that I'll bless all the nations of the world through you. So, in some small form, God is bringing blessing upon Potiphar's house because Joseph's there. Right. So, so that's what we see at the beginning. But there's a problem, which is that Joseph is a hottie. Super that's the hot. problem. Right. Verse, verse six. Second <laughs> half of verse six. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Right. Mm. So he's got a he's got a nice face. He's, he's got ripped, nice he's, he's ripped. Yeah. Yeah. He's ripped. So, um, so this is a problem. So. Here's there's a possibility here. Now this is not not going to be dogmatic about this, but it's possible that Potiphar as a captain of the guard, um, the guards were typically eunuchs, Ah. uh, right? Because they would guard the harem of uh, Pharaoh. You didn't want any funny business. So it's very possible that Potiphar was himself a eunuch, and that um, back then it was customary to get married for sort of social standing status, kind of status symbol. Right. Uh, In this case, it wouldn't actually be very functional marriage, so to speak. So it makes sense that you have a uh, desperate housewife, for lack of a better, better term, right? Here. And
0: couple that with a hottie. It's bad yeah. And so then,
1: yeah, introduce <laughs> Joseph, who's very available and has the, you know. Not only is he attractive, but yep. he's, he's
0: successful at what he puts his hands to. So he's making money, <laughs> ladies. He's making money.
1: Making money. Yeah. He's, 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 he's looking good. And so Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, right? And we see um Multiple Joseph times. Yeah, she's persistent. She's very persistent. And we see him saying in verse 9, "Right, how could I do this great wickedness against God and sin against God? Joseph knows that God's with him. God's blessing him. He's not going to be unfaithful to God. Mm -hmm. So we see, I mean, a really upstanding man because he probably could have gotten away with this. And then we see next that one day he's at work. He's alone in the house. She's there. She catches him, right? She she tries to seduce him, and he runs and leaves his coat behind. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Once again, a coat, a piece of clothing is used for deception deception in the story of of Israel. So we see she uses this. She says, he tried to assault me. And Potiphar has no choice but to throw him in prison. Right. But it's amazing because God is still with him. Right. right?
0: And he's still dreaming, right? Yeah.
1: Still a dreamer. That's right. Yeah. So so in chapter 40, what we see is, well, first of all, verse 3, the location of the prison, Mm -hmm. it says in verse 3, is... he he put him in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, right? Who is Potiphar. (laughs) So at least, I mean, unless I, unless we're missing something, that's exactly the same word, the term used of Potiphar earlier. So Joseph is taken from being head of the house to being a prisoner in the same house. And, uh, but the, the captain of the guard, who's over the prison, right? Potiphar knows that Joseph is still capable, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. I, I wonder if, if Potiphar maybe knew a little bit of what his wife was all about, mm, but publicly I, I had to make a choice. I somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't, you have to save face, but who knows? That's just speculation. But, but anyways, Joseph becomes a leader in the prison, right? And he actually becomes, uh, plays the role of interpreting dreams. So, these, yep. these two officials from Pharaoh's court come to him and they have a dream. You have yeah, a the, dream. The baker and the cup era. right? Yeah. yeah. And Joseph, in terms of that, he says, you know, God can give the interpretation of dreams. Tell me the dreams and I'll give the interpretation. And he says to one guy, ah, oh, this means that you're going to be restored <laughs> to Pharaoh's right hand. Yeah, you're awesome. Another guy says, you will lose your head. What the baker do? Even, I don't Who knows? Did he, like, you know, was the bread undercooked or something? Like, what happened? I don't know too much gluten in the diet or something <laughs> um, so anyway so he interprets their dreams and they say and the, the cupbearer, right who is the one who actually was got the good news right. he says, i won't forget you and yet for three years he forgets him
0: forgot him until so, the time come for you know hope danger in the story that's again. right yeah. yeah and
1: so what happens is to put it simply joseph is called before pharaoh who has a dream he interprets the dream and he and he's and he says i love how he's saying again and again that the credit belongs to god right, right. verse 16 he says it's not in me god will give pharaoh a favorable answer yeah or, again
0: the transforming of characters like yeah, yeah i mean he, cool.
1: he knows he knows who's in charge right or he says in verse 25 god has <clears> revealed <throat> to pharaoh what he's about to do right and then again in uh, in verse 28 it's as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. So right. he gives an interpretation, which is the interpretation is that there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine.
0: Right. So cows says, and corn and ugly cows. And yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So he says, you should put someone in charge who can store grain until the famine and then disperse it. And, and Pharaoh says, well, Sweet. verse 38, right? Can we find a man like this and whom is the spirit of God? Why don't you be in charge? Wow, that's a great idea. (laughs) Let's do this right. So in one in one moment, going from the lowest in the land to the highest in the land, and we see again those dreams are being fulfilled. Yeah, all because you know his brothers sold him some slaves. That's right. Well.
0: I guess I should say all because God had planned for Joseph to be sold to slaves.
1: Amen. Yeah. Amen. And in verse fifty-seven, we see all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Boom. So, like you talked about, all the earth getting blessed. Yep. Yeah. The entire the entire globe is being blessed by Joseph. So God has a plan to bless the entire world. So now we have the the plot thickens. Right. right? So the brothers kept come back into the scene because dun, God done God's created a situation where. Um, they have to come to Egypt to yeah. get food. So they're in this desperate position. So they go to Egypt. They bow before Joseph, right? Fulfilling <laughs> the dream. <laughs> You're spies, <laughs> what Joseph's response is, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, love, I love how it says first. It said, Joseph, verse, sorry, this is 42, <clears throat> verse 9. Joseph remembered the oh, dreams yeah. that he had dreamed, Yeah, right? And, and I, I love it. So Joseph is all of a sudden going, Whoa. he's coming back to his mind of, oh my goodness, this is God fulfilling that right. dream, right? Mm-hmm. And so Joseph starts to have a plan. And it's, it's a very weird and roundabout plan, but it's very important to understand what he's doing. So he accuses them, first of all, he said, of being spies. right? He says, you're spies. They said, no, we're not spies. What, what are you talking about? And, he's, and he says to them, he's, uh, he says to them in verse 15, he says, uh, by this you'll be tested, You shall go. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Mm -hmm. So this is his test for them. He says, "These ten guys come. They say they have a younger brother." He says, "Okay, well, bring your brother. I'll know you're telling the truth." Now he's doing this because he knows that Benjamin, the youngest, is his brother, his full brother. Right. And Benjamin is now the favorite of Jacob. Right. Benjamin. Benjamin is in the place that Joseph was in all those years ago Mm -hmm. of being the favorite son. So he's going to test them in this way. And so he's saying that we're testing in two different ways, right? They don't know who he is, but he's going to test them and see what are they about.
0: Right. right. It's funny that they do not recognize him at all. Huh?
1: I mean, he's probably, you know, dressed different, probably really tan. Way better Egypt. looking. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Has a funny hat on or something. Yeah. You yeah. got the, the shaved head or something. I don't know. Um, and so he's, he he basically says to them, uh, or he overhears them as they're about to leave. Oh, in verse the twenty-one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if he understands <laughs> Hebrew. They don't know that he knows that, but they said to one another in verse twenty-one, "In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, mm-hmm. and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us." Mm-hmm. So there, I mean, they're still racked with guilt, right. and they should be right. Yeah, because they did an awful thing, and so they, they're confessing that they are guilty, and they're saying that there's now a reckoning for the blood of joseph Mm -hmm. but joseph is is acting as a savior to the whole world and to his brothers right so he actually in verse 25 he gives them the grain they bought and he puts their money back into the grain sacks yep so i love this stuff because when they discover it the the brothers freak out Mm -hmm. they go what what has happened like god's given them (laughs) a blessing and they're they're terrified right they don't know what to do with god's blessing so that's what we see in the first chapter. When they get back to Jacob, Jacob goes, no, it's I'm not going to let Benjamin done. So they, they kept Simeon, right? They kept Simeon in prison. And he said, <laughs> like, I'm not going to let Benjamin go because I like Benjamin better than Simeon. That's yeah, basically. And he's dead. So. And then the best, the best line is from Reuben, right? In verse 37, <laughs> yeah. 42, 37. Reuben says to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. In other words, give me Benjamin. I will bring him back to you. If not, I will let you murder your grandsons. <laughs> that's a that's a great deal, right? Like what? But Reuben is just trying so hard to be right. to be in the inner circle. He wants to be accepted by his father. That's just crazy, though. Right. Just Insane. Um. So chapter forty three continues. So they do return to Egypt because they want out of food. Yeah. So like, God oh, forces food. them, right? Mm-hmm. And then they decide to to bring Benjamin with them. Mm-hmm. And so we see how the story unfolds um, and he he actually, it says in verse 14, Jacob is blessing them and he says, may God almighty grant you mercy before the man and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. In fact, he's going to send back in a, in a real sense, another brother, right? He's going to bring back Joseph right, to them. Exactly. Um, the prayer is way beyond what he expected and and what Joseph does in this is he actually sets up a situation where he has them come and feast with him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in verse 34, it says portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion he
0: got the fat stack was five <laughs> times as much
1: as any of theirs. <laughs> and they ate drank and were merry with him. So what's going on here? Well, he's, he's setting up a situation where he's showing favoritism to the youngest to see if he can provoke their jealousy, mm-hmm. to see if they're the same as they were before. right? And we see that there is a, there's a change. They're not quite the same. They, right. they, they're able to rejoice with him. And not only that, but he tests them further. So what he does is he takes a special silver cup, puts it in the sack of Benjamin and sends his guards after them when they leave. Mm-hmm. And they say, you stole this cup. right? And up. they say, no, we didn't steal a cup. And he says, well, whoever whoever has this cup is going to be my servant, my slave forever. And so they agree to this and then they find it in the, in the sack of Benjamin. Now this is, this is the perfect opportunity for them to get rid of Benjamin. Right. To, to be rid of the favoritism in their family. Right. And yet the brothers don't want that. Mm-hmm. So we actually see Judah stepping forward in verse 14. Notice, by the way, notice how many times Judah's name is mentioned in mm-hmm. this chapter. It says verse 14, Judah, and his his brothers, came to Joseph's house. He was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Verse 16, Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of our servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. In other words, we're all your slaves. We're sorry that we did this. And and Joseph says, no, only the one who's guilty should pay for for the crime. Verse 18, Judah went up, to him and said, Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak. So Judah becomes the mediator. He steps forward. He's he's arguing on behalf of his brother. He's begging for the life of his brother, but that's not enough. That's not enough. And so we see kind of the, the, the pinnacle of this in verse 33, he says, Judah says, now, therefore, please let your servant remain. Let me remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. Yeah. So in other words, Joseph, Judah is saying, I'm going to be the substitute and take the place mm-hmm. of Benjamin. I'm going to stand in his place. That's the deal that he makes. And it's at that point in chapter 45 that Joseph breaks down.
0: I lo- yeah, I love his response to that. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's an incredible thing that he would actually say he would go from being a brother who would in a, in a heartbeat sell his brother right. for a tiny bit of silver would now say. I'll give my life for him. Right. Uh, th- I mean, all of a sudden, Judah is really transformed. Judah's become the leader that God needs in his people. This is, this is a big deal. So Joseph reveals himself. He says, this is who I am. And they, their brothers are freaked out. Right. They're afraid. Right. But look at Joseph's language in chapter 45. I love what he says again and again. In verse five, he says, God sent me before you mm-hmm. to preserve life. Verse seven. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Yep. Joseph doesn't see it as their crime. He sees it as God was in control the whole time. Mm. It's so exciting,
0: like these parts of the Old Testament where the characters finally get what God's trying to do through the story. And you're like, yes, this is awesome. And yeah. then eventually it falls apart again, but like, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> but it is so cool to see when God's people actually are in obedience and like get God's story and are following it. It's a beautiful thing,
1: yeah. and it brings so much like healing and joy, you know, and just life. I agree, I absolutely agree. And and then he so he loads them up with all the stuff they need. He says, "Bring my father back here. I'm gonna I'm gonna make for you a home. I'm gonna provide for you everything you need." Yeah. And then in verse twenty four, he says. Don't quarrel on the way. <laughs> he, knows, he knows this is going to yeah. stir up a lot of things and they're going to be blaming each other and they're, right. they're, they have a lot of guilt still, right? Right. So he knows his family he says, don't quarrel. Chapter 46, um, God actually c- comes to, J- to jo- Jacob and says, it's okay for you to go to, to Egypt. Remember, God had already mm-hmm. planned this in Genesis 15. Right. Four hundred years. you. are going to be yeah, yeah, wandering in a foreign land, all yeah. these things. So he says, you know, go ahead and go. It's, it's okay to leave the promised land for this time and he brings all of his offspring with him, and we see in 46 the full extent of the offspring of Jacob. We see his family, yep. 70 people that are coming in, uh, out of the promised land into Egypt, and the, and the reunification of Jacob and Joseph was a beautiful thing. Right, And then in 47, Jacob, the family is is placed in Goshen, mm-hmm. and then we see in the rest of that chapter how Joseph deals with the famine, so the wisdom of Joseph and how he actually claims all the land, all the property, all the people. Through through his planning, he actually gives complete unified power to the Pharaoh. It's right. kind of interesting. So he's, yeah. he's setting up for the Exodus. Right. He's setting up for making Egypt the, mo- the most powerful country, mm-hmm. most powerful nation on the face of the earth. All
0: a Hebrew, not an Egyptian.
1: Yeah. yeah. So he's the one who's able to, yeah, use this to year by year buy and take more from them. Mm-hmm. And then he exacts a tax from them after that. And then in 48, we see some of the, the, the blessing, 48 and 49, we see That's Jacob right, blessing his, his children, b- blessing his grandchildren. And there's a lot we could say, but I mean, really, the, the biggest thing <coughs> to see in 49 is verse 10, which is that in Judah's blessing, Jacob explicitly says that the kingship will come from Judah. Right. So this is, this is really important. So verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Right. So the scepter and the staff, those are symbols of authority, right. symbols of rulership. So he's going to be the, the king, the, the, all the kings are going to come from Judah. And this is in part because of like we said, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi failing and Judah also showing the heart of a true leader. Right. And how he dealt with with Benjamin. And then at the, the very end, we see the whole story wrapped up. So this is the very end of the book of, of Genesis. And what we see is that after Jacob dies, the, the brothers of Joseph are very insecure mm-hmm. and, and they, they believe. So we see in 50 verse 15, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back. Right. It, so they think that because their father's gone now, Joseph's going to do what he wants. Take advantage. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't want to upset the father, but now who cares? But Joseph responds to them in, I mean, what is one of the most profound, uh, you know, phrases, paragraphs, whatever in the entire Bible. Right. And is placed at the end of Genesis for a reason. And and I wish we as Christians more believed this. Mm. I wish that we knew this. This is what he says to them in verse 19. He says, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Mm. In other words, what he's saying is, yes, you guys did an evil thing, but what you have to understand is that in your evil action, God intended something good, right? He, I mean, he uses the same verb, right? You meant evil, Mm -hmm. but God meant good. So God can take an evil action and in that evil action, even though we have an intent, right? We say, we'll see what will become of his dreams. We're going to tear those dreams down. God is fulfilling the dream, right? God is doing the exact opposite of what we want through our evil actions. Right. If, if we didn't have that hope, we'd have no hope of the gospel. Right. Right. And, and so th- this is coming at the end of a book that, that basically was the story of Joseph, right? Joseph's story is everything is great, He's he's the favorite son. He's got everything going for him. He's got the promises of God. And then everything falls apart. Right. And it goes from bad to worse. His brothers hate him. Then they sell him to slavery. Then he's in prison. Everything has gone wrong. And that's the story of Genesis, right? I mean, right. God puts Adam and Eve in this perfect creation, and they sin. And not only that, but Cain murders Abel. And right. Lamech is, is a, a serial killer and right. a polygamist. And Noah... It, he, he lives through the judgment of God and wiping out the earth and starting over again. Right. And then even after that, the Tower of Babel.
0: Babel and then Abraham gets rid of his wives. And, yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: so all of these tragedies, one after the other, is there hope for God's people? Right. And Joseph shows us the reality. Right. Which is that the entire message of Genesis is that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God's going to bring something beautiful out of the story. Yeah. God hasn't lost control of the story. God's working it, right? Those dreams will be fulfilled. Right. The prophecies will come true in Jesus Christ. And how often do we forget that just in our walks,
0: even as we're reading through the Bible, especially in our lives, how, how much do we forget that all the turmoil and you know, even this last year of, of 2020, how often do we forget that God is working good? Not that he might work good through these events, but he is working good yeah. through all the
1: evil. Amen, <laughs> amen. And so the book ends with, in 24, he says, God's going to visit you and bring you up out of this land. Right. So Joseph the dies. continue promise. Yeah. He keeps Joseph going. dies yeah. with confidence. The land. So we're seeing the seed grow. We're seeing the offspring grow. Right. Um, we're seeing God's blessing to his people, but, but the land is now, they're away from the land. Yeah. And, and, and just says, don't worry. In fact, hold on to me and, and right keep my body until you come into the promised land. He wants right. to be buried in the promised land.
0: Yeah. And yeah, they even buried their dad, right? In the same plot of land that yeah. they bought, right? Yeah. So it's, always coming back to that plot of land that was bought because that's where God's promise is going to bring his people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Book of Genesis. I think we got a big idea of what the whole book's about, but how does the gospel connect to this? What's the
1: hope that's in this? Yeah. I mean, there's, there is so much, right? The most obvious thing coming from the, we'll kind of start at the end and work back, I guess, but what God meant for evil or sorry, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Right. I mean, that, that theme is such a big theme in the Bible, right? When we come, obviously the most evil action in the history of the world is there's no genocide. That's the most evil act. It's the most evil act. Wait, let me guess. Uh, Nazi Germany. Worse than, worse than that. Oh, worse my Worse than word. that, right? Is the, the, the killing of God in the flesh, right? The, the murder of Jesus as a criminal, he, as he's hung up in shame in front of the whole world, that is that is worse than everything because you're creating the source of all life. Right. I mean, he's worth more than all the lives on earth, right? Because he created them. Right. So the, the tragedy of the murder of Jesus is the greatest tragedy, but the Bible is clear even before it happens as to why it's going to happen. Right. Isaiah 53, 10, right. says, was the will of the Lord to crush Crush him." him. God put him to grief. God is going to do this for a reason Believe it, even Genesis 315 it talks about that he's going to get bit right yeah <laughs> that's the plan that's the plan all along in fact it has to happen that way or I think about in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 has an incredible statement about God's control over the situation uh, as they're praying in the midst of persecution the apostles say this in Acts 427, four, sorry, four, yeah, 427 for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Mm. So, all these people, uh, you know, arrayed against Jesus, they're saying that's exactly what you wanted to happen. Right. In other words, they meant it for evil, and God, you meant it for good. And mm. we know that now. We see how you, you worked salvation through the, the most tragic event in all of human history. Right. So that, I mean, that's, that's one big way.
0: How does Judah fit into the gospel?
1: Well, Judah is, I mean, in his example of his intercession for his brother is showing us the character of a savior, right? Right. That Jesus is going to be the one who's from the line of Judah, who's the true king, but who also takes the role of Judah in the fullest sense, Mm -hmm. who, who says, I will stand in the place of these people. Take me instead of them. Right. Right. And so he does that for us. He substitutes himself for us. Right. And of course, we also see, I mean, just many things about Joseph's story that remind us of Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? How he's sold into slavery, how he's betrayed by the tribes of Israel, um, but how he redeems them in the end. So, I mean, all of this story, Joseph and Judah is pointing to the great work of Jesus and what he'll accomplish for us.
0: Yeah. Well, amen to that. Well, um, that's all we have for you today. Um, Thanks for tuning in to Daily Gospel, and we hope you've been edified by this and encouraged.
1: Um, We'll see you next week.